Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Law School of America. Prior appropriation water rights is the legal doctrine that the first person to take a quantity of water from a water source for beneficial use, agricultural, industrial or household has the right to continue to use that quantity of water for that purpose. Subsequent users can take the remaining water for their own beneficial use if they do not impinge on the rights of previous users. The doctrine developed in the western United States and is different from riparian water rights, which are applied in the rest of the United States. Water is very scarce in the west and so must be allocated sparingly, based on the productivity of its use. The right is also allotted to those who are first in time of use. Water appropriation problems to light. Matthew Irwin diverted a stream for his mining operation. Shortly afterward, Robert Phillips started a mining operation downstream and eventually tried to divert the water back to its original stream bed. The case was taken all the way to the California Supreme Court, which ruled in favor of the appropriation law. Details. Each drop of rain falling through the sky has already been allocated to a user. Leave the hose running between rinses while you wash your car and you won't run afoul of the law. But if you gather a pail full of rainwater and pour on your tomato plant, look over your shoulder for a water cop. You will be preventing those raindrops from entering the watershed, depriving people downstream from the surrounding creeks and rivers of their rights to use their apportioned amounts of stream flow. The doctrine of prior appropriation comes crashing up against the imperative to conserve scarce water. Colorado made it legal for some homeowners to harvest rain and snow from their roofs. Tucson is encouraging its citizens to gather rainwater. Santa Fe made catchment devices mandatory for new dwellings. But, in Utah and Washington, with the exception of Seattle, harvesting raindrops is still a crime. Stephen Grace The legal details vary from state to state, however, the general principle is that water rights are unconnected to land ownership and can be sold or mortgaged like other property. These rights can be lost over time if non-use of the water source is demonstrated or if the water has not been used for a certain number of years. There are four essential elements, intent, diversion, beneficial use, and priority. The first person to use a quantity of water from a water source for a beneficial use has the right to continue to use that quantity of water for that purpose. Subsequent users can use the remaining water for their own beneficial purposes provided that they do not impinge on the rights of previous users, this is the priority element of the doctrine. In addition to this, a user may not change the intent in which he is appropriating water such that the change hinders the use by another. These preservation of conditions were granted to the second user after Farmers High Line v. City of Golden, 1954. Beneficial use is commonly defined as agricultural, industrial or household use. Ecological purposes, such as maintaining a natural body of water and the wildlife that depends on it, were not initially deemed as beneficial uses in some western states but have been accepted in some jurisdictions. The extent to which private parties may own such rights varies among the states. Each water right has a yearly quantity and an appropriation date. Each year, the user with the earliest appropriation date, known as the senior appropriator, may use up to their full allocation, provided the water source can supply it. Then the user with the next earliest appropriation date may use their full allocation and so on. In times of drought, 
users with junior appropriation dates might not receive their full allocation or even any water at all. When a water right is sold, it retains its original appropriation date. Only the amount of water historically consumed can be transferred if a water right is sold. For example, if alfalfa is grown, using flood irrigation, the amount of the return flow may not be transferred, only the amount that would be necessary to irrigate the amount of alfalfa historically grown. If a water right is not used for a beneficial purpose for a period of time it may lapse under the doctrine of abandonment. Abandonment of a water right is rare, but occurred in Colorado in a case involving the South Fork of San Isabel Creek in Sawatch County, Colorado. For water sources with many users, a government or quasi-government agency is usually charged with overseeing allocations. Allocations involving water sources that cross state borders or international borders can be quite contentious, and are generally governed by federal court rulings, interstate agreements and international treaties. Even though water markets are increasingly gaining ground, many have criticized the prior appropriation system for failing to adequately adjust to society's evolving values. For example, the vast majority of water in the West still is allocated to agricultural uses despite the cries for additional water from growing cities. Additionally, the high demand for the allocation of water can cause an over-appropriation of the waters. This means that there are more water rights for that particular stream than there is water actually available. For example, in Nevada, approximately 45 basins are over-appropriated. Similarly, environmentalists and those who use rivers for recreational and or scenic purposes have demanded that more water be left in rivers and streams. The prior appropriation system has in many ways inhibited these calls for change. Prior Appropriation Adoptions Alaska, Arizona, California, Colorado, Hawaii, Idaho, Kansas, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Oregon, South Dakota, Utah, Washington, Wyoming all use the Prior Appropriation Doctrine, with permitting and reporting as their regulatory system. California and Texas recognize a dual doctrine system that employs both riparian and prior appropriation rights. Oregon mainly uses the prior appropriation doctrine with some remnants of the riparian doctrine. Landowners have rights to water on their own land at a certain time at which it is then incorporated into the appropriation system. In these cases, riparian rights take precedence, unless they are not claimed by a certain date or are not used within a certain number of years. Arizona adopted the prior appropriation doctrine such that a person could acquire this water right simply by applying it to beneficial use and posting an appropriation notice at the point of diversion. On June 12, 1919, they enacted the public water code in which the person must apply for and obtain a permit for water use. The appropriation doctrine was adopted in Colorado in 1872 when the territorial court ruled in Younger v. Nichols, 1872 that a non-repairing user who had previously applied part of the water from a stream to beneficial use had superior rights to the water with respect to a repairing owner who claimed a right to use of all the water at a later time. The question was not squarely presented again to the Colorado court until 1882 when in the landmark case, Coffin v. Left Hand Ditch Company, 1882, the court explicitly adopted the appropriation doctrine and rejected the repairing doctrine, citing Colorado irrigation and mining practices and the nature of the climate. The decision in Coffin ruled that prior to adoption of the Appropriation Doctrine in the Colorado Constitution of 1876 that the Riparian Doctrine had never been the law in Colorado. Within 20 years the Appropriation Doctrine, the so-called Colorado Doctrine, had been adopted, in whole or part, by most of the states in the western United States that had an arid climate.
New Mexico enacted its appropriate surface water code in 1907. Later, in 1931, New Mexico enacted the underground water law that adapted the state's surface law to groundwater. The prior appropriation doctrine was adopted in 1973 in Montana under the 1973 Water Use Act. Later, they then passed the Montana Groundwater Assessment Act in 1991. In 1967, Texas passed the Water Rights Adjudication Act in regards to surface waters such that the allocation of these waters was under a unified permit system. Prior appropriation theory applied to other goods. Water is not the only public good that has been subject to prior appropriation. The same first-in-time, first-in-right theory has been used in the United States to encourage and give a legal framework for other commercial activities. The early prospectors and miners in the California gold rush of 1849, and later gold and silver rushes in the western United States, applied appropriation theory to mineral deposits. The first one to discover and begin mining a deposit was acknowledged to have a legal right to mine. Because appropriation theory in mineral lands and water rights developed in the same time and place, it is likely that they influenced one another. This was seen in the California case Irwin v. Phillips, 1855, which decided a water rights dispute between two non-riparian miners on the basis of first in time, first in right, a maxim drawn from equity. As with water rights, mining rights could be forfeited by non-use. The miners' codes were later legalized by the federal government in 1866, and then in the Mining Law of 1872. The Homestead Act of 1862 granted legal title to the first farmer to put public land into agricultural production. This first-in-time right to agricultural land may have been influenced by appropriation theory applied to mineral lands. In recent years, there has been some discussion of limiting air pollution by granting rights to existing pollution sources. Then it has been argued, a free cap-and-trade market could develop in pollution rights. This would be prior appropriation theory applied to air pollution. Recent concern over carbon dioxide and global warming has led to an economic market in CO2 emissions, in which some companies wish to balance emissions increases by offsetting decreases in existing emissions sources. This is essentially acknowledging a prior appropriation right to existing CO2 emitters. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Nemo debt quad non hobbit, literally meaning no one gives what they do not have is a legal rule, sometimes called the Nemo debt rule, that states that the purchase of a possession from someone who has no ownership right to it also denies the purchaser any ownership title. It is equivalent to the civil, continental, Nemo plus euros at alium transferi potus quam ipse hobbit rule which means one cannot transfer to another more rights than they have. The rule usually stays valid even if the purchaser does not know that the seller has no right to claim ownership of the object of the transaction, a bona fide purchaser. However, in many cases, more than one innocent party is involved, making judgment difficult for courts and leading to numerous exceptions to the general rule that aim to give a degree of protection to bona fide purchasers and original owners. The possession of the good of title will be with the original owner. United States. In American law, a bona fide purchaser who unknowingly purchases and subsequently sells stolen goods will, at common law, be held liable in trover for the full market value of those goods as of the date of conversion. Since the true owner retains legal title, the seller is liable even in a chain of successive bona fide purchasers. For example, the true owner can successfully sue the fifth bona fide purchaser in trover. However, the problem of successive bona fide purchasers can be remedied. If the jurisdiction recognizes an implied warranty that the seller has title to the property, Article 2 of the Uniform Commercial Code, UCC, in the United States, 
then the bona fide purchaser can sue the seller for breach of that implied warranty. Courts of equity traditionally also recognize various other exceptions, likely giving rise to the idea embodied in the modern UCC. This rule is exemplified in circumstances like the Holocaust reconciliation movement, where property, such as works of art, stolen or confiscated by the Nazis was returned to the families of the original owners. Anyone who purchased the art or thought they had ownership was denied any rights over the litigious property due to the Nemo-Dat rule. As mentioned earlier, the Nemo-Dat rule has numerous exceptions. Legal tender, for example, does not adhere to the rule in certain circumstances. For example, if a rogue buys goods from a bona fide merchant, then that merchant will not have to return the bills to the true owner because holding the rule to be otherwise would disrupt the economy and prevent the free flow of goods. The same may be true of other negotiable instruments like checks. If Alice, a thief, steals a check from Bob and sells it to innocent Charlie, then Charlie is entitled to deal with the check, and Bob cannot claim it back from Charlie, though the name appearing on the check may affect the validity of such a transfer. Another matter is the transfer of other legal rights normally granted by ownership. In 2011, a U.S. district judge ruled that a woman who had purchased a stolen laptop could sue a device tracking company for invasion of privacy stemming from recording software installed on the laptop to facilitate its recovery after being stolen. This ruling demonstrated that bona fide purchasers are entitled to some rights by virtue of possession alone, or that Nemo Dat is superseded by the bona fide purchaser's right to privacy. Recording Statutes When dealing with real property, most American jurisdictions have codified recording statutes that will enable subsequent purchasers to divest title from the party with common law title if they qualify for protection under the recording statute. Three varieties of recording statutes exist. 1. Race statutes, 2. Notice statutes, and 3. Race notice statutes. A race statute would divest common law title from a person with superior title if the subsequent purchaser recorded their deed prior to the person with superior title. A notice statute would divest common law title from a person with superior title if the subsequent purchaser had no notice, either actual or constructive, otherwise known as bona fide, of the true owner's title. A race notice statute requires a subsequent purchaser to be bona fide in record first. English Law the original owner can obtain protection against the former owner through the doctrine of estoppel of the sale of goods act 1979. unless the owner of the goods is by his conduct precluded from denying the seller's authority to sell methods of the estoppel can be by words by conduct or by negligence estoppel by words or representation by the original owner through words that he is the true owner or has the owner's authority to sell henderson and company v williams shavi commissioner of metropolitan police following Henderson. Estoppel by Conduct. Farka Harson Brothers V.C. King & Company Limited. Mercantile Bank of India Limited v. Central Bank of India, upholding Farka Harson. Central Newbury Car Auctions Limited v. Unity Finance Limited. Mistake About Identity. Shogun Finance Limited v. Hudson. Exceptions. Sales in Open Markets. In the 18th century at the time of William Blackstone, sales in an open market were an exception to the Nemo-Dat principle. However, after the growth in the UK of car boot sales led to opportunities for rogues to fence stolen property, the Sale of Goods, Amendment, Act 1994 abolished the market overt exception to the Nemo-Dat rule in 1995. Leases. In the case of Bruton v. London Quadrant Housing Trust, Lord Hoffman created an exception to the rule in relation to the granting of a leasehold estate in land. It is possible, though this is controversial, 
for a mere licensee to create a tenancy if the hallmarks of a tenancy are present. This means that the holder of the lesser right, for example, the licensee, which is not an estate in land, can create a larger right, an estate even. Scots Law As in the United States, banknotes in Scotland are an exception to the rule. This issue arose in the 1749 case of Crawford v. The Royal Bank, where title to a banknote issued by the Bank of Scotland that had gone missing in the post was disputed. Keekwood plantator solo, solo judit, Latin, whatever is affixed to the soil belongs to the soil, is a legal Latin principle related to fixtures which means that something that is or becomes affixed to the land becomes part of the land, therefore, title to the fixture is a part of the land and passes with title to the land. Consequently, whosoever owns that piece of land will also own the things attached. Another way to look at it is by interpreting the Latin principle as that which is attached to the land becomes a part of the land, use of the word soil is a more literal translation. The key issue is the degree of permanence a purported fixture has to the piece of land in question. An antique fireplace set into a house's living room wall has a high degree of permanence and would therefore benefit from the principle. Conversely, if that same fireplace has ornaments loosely attached to the floor at either end, those ornaments would be very unlikely to benefit from the principle. However, if those same ornaments were bolted to the floor, they would almost certainly pass the principle's test. The purpose of the principle is to ensure that a purchaser of land does not acquire title or ownership of something which is not intended to pass with the land. The principle also ensures that the correct title does pass to a purchaser in the event that a previous owner attempts to assert that a fixture was a chattel and therefore belonged to them. The principle has particular relevance to landlord and tenant law. If a tenant is coming close to the end of his or her agreement and aims to remove a particular item attached to the landlord's property, the principle exists to remedy this. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America